This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob, and we're actually back in the same room, Rob. Back in the same room, back in, uh, well, we're not in glorious Blackburn South, because I've come to your place in North Melbourne today, yeah, we're Mob. In, we're in gloomy North Melbourne, because it's actually raining outside. It's rainy, it's damp, it's dingy, and... And uh, that's that's very appropriate for this very sad, special episode of Shenandoah Oh, Down yes, it's, 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 a very, it's a very special 41st episode of uh, Shenandoah Down Under today, because what can we say that... The war is over. Lay down your guns. As in, the war actually did end uh, uh, several months ago for everybody else. <laughs> but this is the actual day. It was the, uh, the 2nd of August, I believe, okay. 1865, that the crew of the Shenandoah realised um, they'd been more or less proceeding for the last month or so, putting their hands in their ears going, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, when... Every time they captured a whaler who had come from San Francisco or whatever with newspapers pointing out things like uh, the surrender of Lee at Appomattox, the assassination of Lincoln, that really the war was over. They were trying their best not to uh, hear that, weren't they? Uh, although I, I think you can you can really get the, the cognitive dissonance coming in loud and clear because they, they didn't not believe that Lincoln had been assassinated, for instance, because they were quite, you know... Oh, and then when, when, you know, I think they kept seeing the newspaper reports about it, they did actually decide, well, it clearly wasn't by one of our people. Oh, okay. So I think that would only, the only logical alternative would be, would be one of the Union side killed Lincoln, and I can't really see that, can you? No, and, and that's, that's not how it... So that's cognitive dissonance. No, I, I, yes. I, think, I think you could, you could, you could write your thesis on, uh, yes, mental... Mental issues faced by the people of the uh, the, the crew of the Shenandoah. So uh, now I have an idea. It was actually the third of August, but but let's let's. let's well, I'm pulling out and I'm holding okay. it up to the microphone. I'm actually going to go in for. I'm going to tap oh, the microphone tap. Oh, with dear. it today. Okay. I've got uh, the Shenandoah, a memorable cruise, which is the uh, journal of William C. Whittle, who was the executive officer, and he has definitely marked it down okay. as. The second, and he begins his diary entry, and this will give you a hint about yes. how it goes, the darkest day of my life. Oh, dear, oh, Which dear. kind of gives you a hint that things are not good. He says, uh, it's the darkest day of my life. The past is gone for naught. The future as dark as the blackest night. And what happened is um, they captured at 12.30 a.m., so... It was. They were chasing it on the second, Rob. But okay. on twelve thirty a.m., they chased and boarded the bark Barracuda, and it had left San Francisco thirteen days ago. And as we were talking about in previous episodes, they'd come down into the Pacific, and they were trying to catch ships that were heading to China from San Francisco. And they'd actually unsuccessfully gone up and down uh, 
the lanes where they thought these ships would be and hadn't found anything for a while. So this was the first one they came across. It had left San Francisco 13 days before and it bought them newspapers from 13 days before. Oh, yes. Now, I think the other thing also that made um, the Barracuda, um, A, not a capture, and B, a credible source, is that it was an English ship with an English captain. Oh, yes, yes. It it proved to be the Barracuda, and it raised the English colours. So, yes, they weren't... They actually were not trying to burn or capture this ship. Now, um, I think another interesting thing about this is that I believe Captain Waddell then jumped in a boat and uh, had himself rowed over to the Barracuda because he, he wanted the, the latest news. Now, I think that's a bit of a sign that he wasn't necessarily expecting that this news was going to be good because why? Yeah, how often does, does a captain go, go aboard a, uh, another yes. ship? Yes, yes. So what they saw was a newspaper, and the newspaper uh, said, as uh, Mr Whittle describes here, our dear country has been overrun, our president captured... Our armies and navies surrendered. Our people, people subjugated. Um, you can't get much more complete than that, really, can you? No, no. That's... Well, I guess you could also say, and the slaves freed. He didn't actually add that bit, but yeah. that happened. But too. that happened as well, yes. And the next day in his entry, he even goes on to say, we are certainly a pitiable people. To think that our fair country being overrun and our people subjugated, conquered and reduced to a state of slavery which is worse than death. There's a fair bit of irony, (laughs) unconscious irony going on there, but anyway. Oh, dear. um, He does spend quite a bit of his uh, entries writing about about concerns about his family and what's going to happen to them because they are people of no means and... he wonders what's going to happen well, in this new world. Well, yeah. Well, now that, that's another thing, and, and this comes back to the fact that uh, the, the crew of the Shenandoah were, in fact, a, uh, a rather upper class. Although the officers, at least, were a rather upper class bunch. So, yes, yeah, so they, they, they probably lost all of their all of their property. Um, any slaves that their families may have had uh, certainly would have been freed. So, yes, um, not a, not a very happy time for them. So we've seen what uh, Mr. Whittle is talking about, and he's not a happy man. Uh, what about young midshipman Mason? I assume he's not a very happy fellow at these new, this news as oh, well. I, I think there's a lot of not very happy people aboard the Shenandoah 150 years ago, almost today. So, um, so the, now the reason I, I queried the um, the date is that on Thursday, August the third. So, midshipman Mason says, for four or five days past, we have had almost incessant calms and weather, most disagreeably hot, no rain. Yesterday, about an hour after noon, a sail was reported from the masthead and the propeller being lowered and steam made, we furled sail and stood in chase. About four o'clock, we came up with the chase and sent a boat alongside. She had showed the English ensign and we only sent to get the latest news, but little thought it would be so unpleasant. This was an English bark and bound from San Francisco to Liverpool. Oh, there you go. 13 days out. She gave us San Francisco papers of the 20th instant, and really the news was an awful blow to us. The war at an end, our president and a number of the principal officers, both civil and military prisoners, our unfortunate country overthrown by the enemy. I think he's been talking to Lieutenant Whittle. Yes. Um, our rights as bel- now this is important. Our rights as belligerents withdrawn by foreign governments, and all vessels still at sea under the Confederate flag declared pirates. 
Oh dear. And and we at sea on the Shenandoah, a ship with no government to own her, any man of war could capture us a novel position. And yes, I mean any man of war, not not just an American man of war, but um yeah, an English man of war could capture them as well. So um Yes, because they're pirates. Now, 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 Mason goes on about the the various options that they have, and and the other problem there, of course, Rob, is these newspapers were from last month, so presumably they've they've been pirates since the twentieth <laughs> as well. <laughs> they've been pirates for quite some time. So the captain was uh, fairly quick in uh, deciding what to do, wasn't he? Well, look, I, I think there was a, a little bit of kerfuffle. Anyway, um, Mason, Mason goes into this. Um, we were certainly a blue-looking set yesterday evening. None of us able to fix our minds on reading or writing. We're wandering about the ship with the most doleful countenances or sitting in knots about the deck talking over the dreadful news. You can hear the harmonica playing, can't you? You can. Yeah, oh dear. Or some might say a cheaper titty violin but oh, anyway. I, I, I do hope they had a, a couple of rounds of grog to make that uh, a little bit more palatable. Now our captain at first decided to go to Sydney where he proposed to give up the ship to the Yankee consul provided the government would not allow him to sell her. The course was altered last night to southwest and we all fully expected to fetch up in Australia but not so this morning the captain changed his mind hauled up the something or other, and intends going around the horn to Liverpool. I, for one, am not sorry for this change of course. Now, it is strange how much difference of opinion there is about the course which we should pursue. Two important questions arise. First, are we bound to give up the ship, or would Captain Waddell be justified in destroying her? Second, if we must give up the Shenandoah, in what port would it be most advisable to do so? Let us take question number one. One fellow says... We know the war is over. Of course, there is nothing more to be done. Therefore, let us blow up our ship and go inshore in a foreign land. Why should we give her up? From all we can learn, there has been no formal treaty of peace, but annihilation of our government simply. Ooh. Now, here is a Shenandoah, the last remnant of the old confederacy. Why can we not destroy her? Another says... Our government is destroyed. All the property belonging to it is now the lawful prize of the enemy. We should therefore go into the nearest United States port and deliver up our ship and our persons, abiding the consequences. Ooh. Again, a third advocated a medium course. Take the ship into an English or French port, give up our vessel, which is public property, but our persons not belonging to government, we are not bound to surrender them. This last is the course we will pursue. As for question two, many officers think it would be much better to go into Sydney where we would meet with a much warmer reception and be less liable to capture en route. I, for my part, am a Liverpool man, thinking the chances of capture small. Our captain's position is indeed a most difficult and embarrassing one and I do not envy him. He had decided the matter on his own responsibility without calling any regular counsel. I am sorry to be obliged to confess it, but it is a melancholy fact that our captain is not the firmest or most decided man alive. For as I have just shown, he vacillates, never being positive about anything, always afraid of doing either too much or too little. This morning when he spoke to several of us on the poop, his voice was thick and tears stood in his eyes. 
I was truly sorry for that poor man. You know, it's pretty sad when the midshipman is pitying the captain. (laughs) Well, um, it is interesting that uh, Mason really sums up the the different choices very, very well. It's not really surprising he ended up being a lawyer, to be frank. Yes. (laughs) Whereas it it is interesting that uh, Whittle doesn't talk about that at all. He instead mentions, and this is very important, that the moment that it was clear that the war was over, the captain gave him an order. He writes here, The captain gave me an order to dismount and strike our battery and to turn in all arms except the private arms and disarm the vessel as no more depredations, of course, upon the United States shipping will be done. And he says, We went sorrowfully to our work making preparations and pretty much did it so they they put the guns below everything that they could and more or less made the ship uh, completely uh, unable to fight again and, and stopped it being a ship of war well i think possibly one of the reasons that whittle does not mention that is because he was on the losing side so he, he i think with, with most of the officers uh, in fact wanted to to go to to sydney and, uh, and surrender the, um, the ship there. And they certainly didn't want to, to trudge back to Liverpool, which, which may, may we just mention this, is, is on the other side of the world. And um, Yes, the, they made the decision to go back to Liverpool at pretty much the furthest point on the globe <laughs> to get to Liverpool, don't they? Well, mind you, they're, they're, they're following the Barracuda, which is, which is heading off to Liverpool. But, uh, yeah. But, yes. Well... Yeah. Now, uh, Mason also covers the, uh, the decision to um, to disarm the ship. So, um, uh, and what does he say? Okay, this final decision having been arrived at, that is to go back to Liverpool, it was determined to strike the guns below, do away with all warlike appearances, and avoiding all vessels in our route, make the best of our way down round the Horn and up to England. In the forenoon, purchases were rigged. At one o'clock we commenced work, and before four guns were dismounted and stowed away in the hold, carriages, gear and all, and the main brace spliced into the bargain. My God, they're constantly splicing the main brace on this ship. How, how? That, that main brace has been spliced a lot. <laughs> it has indeed. All this uh, ha- Rob, can I ask you a very naive question? Uh, which, yeah. which yeah, I can see you're worried about. If, if, you, if you're about to ask me what exactly is splicing the main brace, we, we no, will... no, I'm going to actually narrow that down even more. What is a main brace, and why does one splice it so? I think that will be that will be something that we can. Well, well you, you splice the main brace um, to drink the captain's health on his birthday, um, which it must be it must mean something that. that well, they're, they're not drinking his health now. They, they are not. Okay, well, we will leave splicing the main brace till next week. Um, okay, so uh, okay, the main brace spliced into the bargain. All this having been done and the decks swept down, all purchases unrigged, this evening all the pistols were fired off. That would have been a melancholy task. Oh, yes, uh, Whittle mentions that too. So they pretty much cannot fire any of their weapons. And I think that's, that's v- trying to make that as demonstrably so if they were ever uh, caught up with by a... Yes. An enemy yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, that does leave you completely defenceless. But it also does make you not pirates if you do that. Well, hopefully. The problem is they do have to explain all those sinkings of the ships yeah, after yeah. the war, <laughs> yeah. after the war ended a few weeks ago. Yes. 
Anyway, so the pistols were fired off and they were sent down with the cutlasses into the spirit room under my charge. So Mason has charge of the pistols. Sick transit, Gloria Mundy. Oh, dear. Our old ship is now as harmless as a woman without fingernails or teeth. That's one of the strangest metaphors I think I've ever seen him heard in my life. I have never heard that metaphor before. I think he coined that metaphor. Anyway, having nothing warlike on her deck but the two little 12-pounders which she carried as a merchant ship and for which we have, I believe, but one single shot. The disappearance of the guns makes the most wonderful change in the internal appearance of the old ship. One hardly knows her. One advantage, the deck is beautifully clear for a working ship. It's an ill wind that blows nobody good. As for our guns, I never expect to see them come out of the hold again. Now, again, Mason, Mason, I think, thinks that war gets in the way of a good sail, I have to say. Yes. <laughs> it is interesting that uh, I remember the... Um, the Aubrey Maturin books, and whenever they needed to get rid of their cannons, they didn't stow them below, did they? They just heaved them over the side. Yes, yeah. I, mm. Often I think they were being chased by enemy ships and things, and they needed to lighten lighten it. But uh, they, they have stowed their, their very large weapons down, down below. The ship is now looking like an uh, ordinary uh, extreme clipper. But uh, as noted, they're going to try and sail all the way back to Liverpool uh, consciously avoiding any sails whatsoever. That is going to be a very, very long and very hard journey, isn't it? Um, very long, very hard. Um, they're not going to be able to refuel, so I, I don't know if their coal is going to last. So, so they're probably going to, have to actually have to sail around the Horn. And um, and they're all very depressed, and they're on a boat, a ship full of massive amounts of booze. I, I, I think I think there might be some. I think there might be some very depressed and drunk sailors by the end of this. Anyway, and, no, and they don't know what's going to await them when they get uh, to yeah, the other they, end. They don't know if they're going to be hung as pirates. Um, now, now, I'm going to give one last quotation from Midshipman Mason, and you know what? This is this is in fact the last quotation from Midshipman Mason because he was obviously so depressed by the whole thing that at this point. He stops writing his diary. Luckily, I can see from your, um, you know, uh, Whittle diary that there's quite a number of I'll, pages. I'll do some riffling in the microphone. And I hope that's not just notes in the back and that he does say some more. Um, but this will be the... So the, you actually did a bit of detective work on that, didn't you, Rob, to well, make sure this was the last part? I, I, I did ask Sam Craghead. And, uh, over and who the, is Sam Craghead? Sam Craghead is the, the public affairs manager at the Museum of the Civil War over in... Uh, it Richmond. Was in, it was in Rich, is it still in Richmond, Virginia? Because I yes, believe they're yes. moving, or they have moved. Well, um, the, the museum used to be next door to the Confederate White House. Yes. And uh, is now out at the Tredegar Ironworks. Oh, okay. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the, the point about it being next to the um, Confederate White House is that, uh, A, it's in the middle of town, and B, that's a historical site, so you can't, yeah. It's actually, down walls. interestingly, uh, the museum is surrounded by a hospital. Oh, okay. And is very hard to get to and has no parking. Okay. And uh, part of that is because Richmond is a historically, has a very large black population and they're, all, they're not all that keen about they, the Confederate White House. I, I believe the American phrase is they could care less about the yes. Confederate White House. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I, I will not argue with, with <laughs> about that. So the Museum of the Confederacy is, is being renamed the uh, Museum of the Civil War. In fact, I believe it has, in fact, been, been renamed. Yes. But, um, 
Okay, so... Um... Anyway, so Sam Craighead of the museum, which has got a new name, uh, confirmed to you, didn't he, that uh, Mr. Mason doesn't have any more journal to go, which is a real shame. We've really enjoyed it, haven't we? Well, and, and that, the thing is, because... Um... Stories about his pants. Yes, yes, about his... Writing in, f- writing in French whenever something slightly risque was happening. Although now that the war's over, he's, he's switched to Latin. Um, we <laughs> yes. Well, he's still writing about women. What, what was Gloria up to again? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> that, that, that has nothing to do with Gloria. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one last quotation from Midshipman Mason. Although, um, now Sam did also sent me some, um, Sam Crackhead also sent me some extracts from the Journal of... Um, uh, surgeon lining, and um, we might we might uh, have a look at them and see okay. if there's uh, anything interesting there. But uh, one last quote from Midshipman Mason: "Oh, how I long to be back to England and have some news of the dear ones at home. What has become of them? Whether Tom, Uncle R, and so many other dear friends and relatives are still alive, dead, wounded, in prison, or what?" Although Uncle R is so dear to him that he doesn't actually mention his full name. But uh, the, the suspense is awful, and I pray God that our passage may be a swift one. Well, you can pray God all you want, but it's still 12,000 miles. The Milo arrived in San Francisco a day before the departure of our English friend who brought us all this unwelcome news. The Yanks were surprised to hear of us in the Arctic and exasperated at continuing our depredations after the destruction of our unfortunate Confederate states. Oh dear, so on the Shenandoah they also know that um, They've been the Yankee, they've been rumbled and that um, they're, they're very unpopular. That, that Yankee warships are now out looking for them. What will they say when they know that we have destroyed, captured 25 vessels, whalers? I'm afraid we should stand but a small chance after this Arctic exploit, and for this reason we are not over-anxious to be captured. Cudeo naus guide. Um, I think that's something about God. Uh, We will get a Latin translation. Uh, If the worst comes to the worst, however, I think I could hang as gracefully as any other man. I've I've never heard that metaphor either. Although although I must confess the idea is unpleasant, and when I think of it, I feel a sort of choking sensation. Well, that's... Uh, and thus, after four long years of fighting, hardships, etc., it has pleased the Almighty that we should be crushed. K savolutos what fate again? Um, we will. We we'll have to follow up. Uh, the, we will uh, follow the, up the, our Latin the, translations, the Latin, the Latin quotes there, and find out what he was talking about with that woman Gloria as well. Uh, well. I actually think uh, Mr. Mason has ended on a bit of a literary flourish, hasn't he? He's he's tried some very interesting metaphors and similes, um, like uh, fear of fear of hanging provokes a choking sensation. Yeah, yeah funny about that. Um, now, now, I think we'll have, we might have to check. I think in in um, in Melbourne, didn't they they visit the hanging doctor or something like they that? They did, it's... and I think Mason was of that party. He spoke to them about hanging for like an entire dinner. So that, and from <laughs> soup to nuts. <laughs> from... <laughs> oh dear! So, well, oh my goodness! That's... Now, um, we might now. Um, we'll uh, we'll finish with uh, with uh, Captain Waddell's um, the view on the uh, on the the final final day of the of his war. Um, now, um, interestingly, we haven't gone into a whole lot into this, and I think we might mention it uh, in, a, in a later episode, but um, in Waddell's memoirs, which of course were published uh, well after the war, um, 
when they were going down to try and find a boat uh, out of San Francisco, um, the newspapers which were captured gave intelligence of the disposition of the American naval vessels, and I was not unfamiliar with their commanding officers or their sagacity. In the harbour of San Francisco was an uh, ironclad. This, mm. this, this is a very interesting scheme, isn't it? Yes, an ironclad commanded by Charles McDougall, an old and familiar shipmate of mine. We had been together on the Saginaw, and McDougall was fond of his ease. I did not feel that he would be in our way. Any officer of the Shenandoah was more than a match for Mac in activity and will. There was no other vessel of war there, as I concluded from San Francisco newspaper reports. And to enter the port after night and collide with the iron ram was easy enough. And with our force thrown upon the ironclad's deck and in possession of her hatches, no life need have been lost. Mac could have been with the officers secured and ere daylight came, both batteries could have been sprung on the city and my demands enforced. Wow, I think that, that, you see, that actually, of all of the plans, um, you know, I, I think a surprise attack on San Francisco three months after the end of the war. That, no one would suspect them coming. <laughs> Nobody. The, the only thing standing in their way, I think, is that San Francisco is the most um, difficult, I believe, port, pretty much one of the most difficult ports in the world to, um, to get. Anyway... Prudence indicated communicating with a vessel recently from San Francisco before attempting the enterprise. Well, as it turned out, that was lucky. The Shenandoah moved gently along with light winds or dashed before occasional gales until we reached the meridian of 129 west when with the north wind that sweeps down the California coast, her course was parallel with the land and we kept a sharp lookout for we were then in waters frequented by the enemy's vessels. On the 2nd of August, I ordered steam in chase of a bark, and in a short time we came up with and boarded the British bark Barracuda of Liverpool from San Francisco. The following extract is taken from the remarks in our logbook made by the lieutenant of the watch. Having received by the British bark Barracuda the sad intelligence of the overthrow of the Confederate government, all attempts to destroy the shipping or property of the United States will cease from this date. My oh life, dear. My life had been checkered from the dawn of my naval career and I believed myself schooled to every sort of disappointment. But oh, the, this, is, this really does need a violin in the background. But the dreadful issue of that sanguinary struggle was the bitterest blow because unexpected I had yet encountered... It cast a gloom over the whole ship and did occupy my thoughts. I had, however, a responsibility of the highest nature resting upon me in deciding the course we should pursue, which involved not only our personal honour, but the honour of the flag entrusted to us, which had walked the waters fearlessly and in triumph. And uh, basically then he, uh, he goes through the same... A uh, lot of decisions that uh, that Mitchum and Mason went through, and uh, as we know, they they eventually decide that they're going to go back to Liverpool. Well, Oof. oh, dear, look, I, I yeah, I feel like getting my. This has been an emotional episode, Rob. An emotional and very special episode, and um, oh, dear, look, I, I think. What more? What more is it to say? As, as we say farewell to, to Midshipman Mason, as we, we as the Shenandoah finishes its war, as uh, 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 let's point out that, that the slaves all get used to their freedom, and uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
Well, I want to say is that this has been another episode of Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the World with Robin Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob and I'm, I'm, I'm just letting our readers know that we are continuing the journey of the Shenandoah. There's actually lots more that happens all the way up to the point they get back to uh, Liverpool. And that's a very interesting tale when they when they get back there and what happens to them and the aftermath. And we're, we're taking that journey oh, through. We, we, we are going to go through through to the bitter end of Liverpool. We, we might we might jump around a bit chronologically and go back and have a look at the, the start of other of Midshipman Mason's diaries. But um, we will be through right through the spring, autumn, winter or summer nights, wherever you may happen to be. But uh, until next week, um, tally-ho. And ahoy.